Welcome, everyone, to the latest, greatest episode of the Network Age. I am Bitchel Ritson, here, as always, with my handsome co-hosts, No Run Mardux and Habsol Rigner. Boys, how are you doing today? Hey, doing really well. Doing well, thanks. We're all doing incredibly well, and one of the reasons is because we have an excellent guest joining us today. Soon, we will be talking to Avi Zerlo of Delphi Digital. Uh, he's an, an investor, a, a crypto enthusiast, and, and someone who has been around the, the world of blockchain for a few years in a lot of different capacities. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to have him on. Um, you know, I chatted with him before assembly, then got to meet him in person in assembly. Just a really, really intelligent guy and really bridges that VC plus being able to deep dive into crypto companies. And so, yeah, we're, I think we're really lucky to have him on in the Urbit space and excited to kind of pick his brain, see what's up. It's been almost a year since we talked last. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to push him to give us some investment advice and get him in trouble at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah. Everyone who listens to this podcast uh, will get rich one way or the other. So if uh, if if that if you're interested in that, and why wouldn't you be? Uh, make sure to stick around for a second. We'll be back with Avi in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone, to the Network Age. And today we are joined uh, by Avi from Delphi Digital, which is a crypto research and investment firm, and it's one of the best in the business. And Avi, we're really excited to uh, have you here joining joining us. Yeah, happy to hear be here, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, Avi, you are your you're you're a smart investor. You're a, you're a good guy. You've got crypto war stories from from way back and we're gonna we're gonna get to all that we want to hear all the all the good dirty details but i think uh let's start by giving you a chance to tell us you know how you ended up here like whether or not we're all totally insane for staying in the in the crypto verse after everything that's happened um you know what what can you tell us yeah very very flattering introduction um <laughs> and yeah, incredibly and... handsome i should have mentioned that, it... that, for that first part. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're all still here, which is, a, which is a good sign. Um, and, uh, I'm still here. Or a sign of insanity. Yeah. And sign of insanity, sign of resilience up to your interpretation. Um, I've, I've been in the space professionally for two and a half years now with Delphi. Um, my first intro to crypto was, um, you know, buying things online. Um, and then, running an Ethereum miner and then super interested in sort of the ideological roots of crypto and blockchain and the whole cypherpunk, lunar punk movements. Um, but uh, yeah, I was able to get my start professionally in, in early 2021. And I really needed to, I, I needed to go crypto full time because at that point I was spending all of my time, including my working hours, learning about crypto, testing protocols and I had a I had a growing guilty conscience, and um, so I started shooting out DMs on Twitter, uh, where you know crypto lives professionally. Delphi, you know, was hiring some interns at the time. I gave my best shill about you know why I love this space and how committed I was, and you know how in it I was for the tech and and all of that jazz. Um, and they gave me an offer, and. I think the rest is history. I'm happy to talk about what that history has entailed. Uh, well, I think it's, uh, 
it's very relevant that you found um, that you did your pitch on Twitter because I think you have one of the the great underappreciated crypto Twitters, uh, the Jew for you, which I think probably yeah. many of our uh, <laughs> our listeners are are aware of. And uh, maybe oh, my my dog is freaking out right in the middle of this riff. We'll uh, we'll we'll let him out in a second. All I was gonna say is you have you have an av- an avatar of a very old man, and as I've already expressed to you, I was blown away when you weren't a sixty five year old Israeli man. Um, yeah, yeah but you're not, just you're as not good financial advice. The avatar is kind of a a funny story, and I've been told recently by a few close friends that I really need to change it. I've legitimately shown up to business meetings, waiting in a hotel lobbies, waiting at a bar seeing the, the the person I'm supposed to meet and then looking around, I'm sure expecting a legit 65, 70 year old <laughs> man. And I have to approach them and, and sort of break the news that I'm, you know, a young 26 year old. Uh, but I, I thought I, I did it at the time. Uh, there was like one of these old, like, you know, uh, old age filter fil- filters. Um, and everybody's like changing, you know, their, their avatars to PFPs. I was like, well, why the fuck can't I just be myself plus, you know, 50 years? Um, <laughs> and, you know, everybody can be a cartoon character. You know, why can't I just be me in the future? I don't think a lot of people got it. Um, it was maybe a bit too realistic. Do you was think Delphi uh, Exactly, I had the same question. <laughs> was Delphi disappointed they didn't get a 65-year-old Jew? Like, how did, how did they take that? I think, I think I changed it after I joined Delphi. Um, so yeah, that wasn't held against me during my application process. Um, mm. But yeah, if I, I guess I, if I ever need a new job, I'll probably need to reconsider my avatar. If you really want to swing for the fences, I think you should go for like a more age appropriate Jew and just switch to <laughs> like a Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah, <laughs> everyone knows him. He's got some some recognition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, um, brutal. Well, but before we get into the the Delphi stuff, which I which I do, I I'm curious, and this is something I I often wonder about for for crypto people is um, you're talking about how how you got in and you you got in in the the age of the of the rising coin, which you know um, praise be, we hope it comes back one day. But you also talked about these like ideological uh, interests you have in it. Do you? Was your journey into crypto? Was it you know, if you're honest, was it was it a, a money journey or a mind journey or uh, you know oh. somewhere somewhere between? Yeah, I mean it was it was um, it was at first a drinking journey. I wanted to have a fake, <laughs> I, a fake ID, and that was my first interaction with with Bitcoin. Um, and then it was an ideological journey. Uh, I had a, I had a roommate across the hall running Ethereum miners. Um, he's like, Hey, you should do this too. free electricity. Um, <laughs> and in my college dorm room and, and, and so then it was like, okay, well, what that's the hell so, is this that's thing? smart. That's very smart. Yeah, no, brilliant. Yeah. Call, yeah. A hotel if you were, yeah. If you were in, in college, you know, 2015 to, to 2020, that was probably your best ROI, um, in Man. your college experience. I can't um, believe that. I can't believe they weren't checking that though. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's only a few devices at the time, but yeah, I mean, what a what a what a what a great decision, an early decision. But that was sort of the foray into okay, what are blockchains? How are these things constructed? Why are they why are they useful? Um, and you know, I'm I'm a broke college kid, so I'd be lying if there weren't sort of money motivations involved in 
trying to figure out what was going on. Um, do you do you think that there's still uh, any arbitrage left there? Could I I live near a university? Could I just go walk around handing out GPUs <laughs> and like uh, <laughs> and grocery store gift cards and say plug this in for me? I'll be back in a couple oh, weeks. I, I don't know, but you may be on to something. Um, I went to I studied at, at NYU, and I'm sure they they wouldn't it wouldn't even be a blimp in their operating operating bills for some of these dorms. So yeah, the, the yeah, University I've of seen, Montana is a is a is a penny pincher. I can say that. Yeah, Mitchell, experience. I've seen what you look like. If you if you start running around <laughs> college campuses handing out yeah. electronics, it's uh, not going to go well for I'll you. I'll just shave the mustache, I guess. <laughs> um. Well, so so all of this brought you to to Delphi Digital, which you know is a very respected um, you know firm in, in in the space. And I think that when we were talking before, something that you emphasized was the ways in which Delphi is a little bit different from some other uh, VCs and, and investment firms that you really emphasize, like the the builder side of crypto investment and research in particular and sort of take a holistic view to, to crypto markets. So I was wondering if you could s speak to that and how that has informed your view of the crypto industry at large. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I'm, I'm always happy to give a Delphi shell. Um, I think I think you're kind of on the ball there that Delphi sits in a, a unique position, along with some other venture funds that are kind of moving towards this model of having a very sort of like holistic um, set of operations where we do investing in early stage crypto companies. We write a lot of research about the space in general. And then we also have a team of builders who are dedicated to working on, you know, particular protocols or crypto solutions. And um, when you mix like those three perspectives together, I think you get like just incredible insight that you are able to unearth, right? From you know, this stack is, isn't really working. And as a venture investor, I, I don't really understand the depths of, you know, software development in crypto, but hey, the guys at Delphi Labs, right? They're boots on the ground building these things. I can, you know, um, sort of extract and share insights with them. Um, and conversely with research. And so we'd like to consider it a hive mind of sorts, you know, just passing information around um, and then when you have a large enough organization, which frankly, there's not too many companies in crypto that, you know, are at the scale of, you know, 100 plus um, distributed globally, you get people who just have their own areas and niches of expertise. And you're able to be an expert in a specific niche um, because, you know, you know, the person, your colleague next to you is going to cover you know, the rest. Um, and uh, so, yeah, in that way, I think, I think we have like a really unique view at, at Delphi and I've been really fortunate to, to take advantage of that. And how does the company split between VC? Like how many people are working in the VC arm versus research versus building? Can you give us a sense of that? Yeah. I mean, um, running a, a venture shop isn't too, um, you know, labor intensive. So we have a pretty small team, sub 10, sub 10 um research is a bit larger maybe two two three times that size delphi labs is uh, i think today the largest sort of division of delphi and all three of them are sort of very distinct in the way that they're run but together they live under the delphi brand and you know again are, are sort of able to work collaboratively um in, in sort of 
share, have those, that, that the classic synergy across those perspectives and visions. And you mentioned it being distributed, like where, where are people concentrated? Is it in New York or is everyone just kind of across the globe? Yeah, it's across, across the globe. I think our venture team is mostly based here in the States. Research is pretty global. You know, we have an Asia presence. We have a presence in Europe. Same goes for labs. So diving in a little bit into this contrast between when you were getting into crypto when you were in college versus kind of working crypto full time, what are some things that have really jumped out to you over the last kind of two and a half years? I'll, I'll say that I feel really fortunate that I was ready to ape my career into crypto at the time that I chose to. Um, and, and, I, and I really do think of, you know, the decision to go full-time into crypto as a professional um, was really a way for me to get the most leverage on crypto as a market. It's the best leverage you can possibly get. Um, and it, and I, I, so I, I like to think that, again, I was really lucky because in 2021, everybody was down to throw their stimulus checks into crypto. Yeah. Um, very few people were down to like make the move and take on that career risk. So the talent pool today is like way richer than it was when I joined. So um, it's I think a totally different ball game. Um, so I think, you think you would have made it today. Change. No, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we, we we bring on interns that I, I look at. I'm like, holy shit! Like this guy was like leagues above where I was at when I joined. Um, and I think that's like a really, really healthy sign for like the industry at large that, you know, you're seeing um, sort of the talent threshold for entrance just, you know, creep up and up year over year. And what is that when you say leagues ahead? Is that on kind of like technical knowledge or like what exactly where where kind of is the progression as you get more and more involved in crypto? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good question because there's. Uh, like so much of your qualification for being a crypto professional, I think, is having like uh, having a very niche knowledge set of what crypto is. And you can really only get that by studying crypto through crypto. Right. You don't get that through studying crypto through, you know, um, you know, some college or university course. Um Right. So there's like a lot of like self-initiative that's sort of sort of self-starter attitude. I think that's required to get started. But at the same time, you know, when I, when I think of you know, the, the interns, right, um, or, the, or the entry level um, applicants who are looking to get in crypto today, they're much more qualified from like a traditional point of view than I think I was. Um, and and they how many have... applications are coming in through Twitter these days? I still think Twitter, I, you know, I think it's died off a bit. Like my LinkedIn is like spammed with interest, even though I have explicitly in my LinkedIn bio, do not DM me on LinkedIn. Please <laughs> hit me up on Twitter. Um, you, you heard it. Everyone send him a LinkedIn message. That's where he likes to respond best. Please <laughs> well, blow it the, up. The truth about LinkedIn is that LinkedIn is a dating app. Isn't that right? Oh, God. Yeah, is I, it? I've heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, Link. LinkedIn is definitely a dating app for like a certain a certain set of professionals. I saw I saw yeah. something that was uh, some big. I, I think it was a crypto Twitter guy, some finance Twitter guy who just had everyone who messaged him on LinkedIn. He just responded with a like book a consultation link, and there was like you know, with, and, oh, but you basically that. paid. Yeah, yeah, and he made like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars with just people messaging him on LinkedIn. To, he said, "You want to ask me a question? Pay me." So I think that if you know 
you can get some side income there for all the all the crypto people say just you know slip me slip me a, a you know a half a bitcoin and uh i'm happy to give you all the advice you want yeah no that's brilliant that's brilliant i should i should run that because honestly yeah, I, I really think like it's a red flag if you're trying to get into crypto and you're trying to d cold dm people through linkedin <laughs> it, like right there you're you're, you're like point blank, you know, I'm, I'm not too interested. I don't really have high conviction that you know this space um, because it does, it li like it lives on Twitter, it lives on Telegram, it lives on Signal. Um, it's not like a traditional industry. And I, yeah, I think you really have to, you have to like, you have to, if you want to go crypto full time, you have to meet crypto with where it's at. Um, mm. And for better or worse, that's Twitter. Mohammed has to go to the mountain. Um... I've had a couple people cold DM me th things about starting a podcast, which I feel like is a is a true sign of uh, mental illness that you're asking me that question because uh, of the the they they that, want you to start a podcast. No, like how how like hey, you're doing a podcast. Uh, how 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 would how what advice would you give to a young podcaster? And I'd say one, stop listening to our show so you can so you can learn to do it better. But um, I would my my advice would be think very very hard. <laughs> yeah. Do, do we is this another pod? Does this podcast need to be made? You know, unlike this podcast, then, which definitely needs to be made. No, this podcast must be made. This is the greatest yeah. podcast ever. It's, it's holding up the but industry. I have I've looked at other. It it really is. It, I've looked at other podcasts, and I just think you know you mm -hmm. don't none of what you're saying well, needs to be said. Well, uh, Avi, just just as we are um, unquestioning um, podcast experts, I, I was thinking <laughs> uh, when you were just saying that your job gives you the freedom to become an expert in something, which I, th I think that's a really exciting, interesting idea, a place that, that gives you the, that support to really focus in on something. So I, what are you an expert in these days? Oh God, man! I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm. That's that's a fucking loaded question. No, I don't. I don't, I don't really consider my an expert. I think. I think I have. I think I have an a expert at being a generalist. I'm an expert Jew. Um, yes, I'm actually a horrible Jew. Um, but I, I'm Jewish. Uh, yes. I'm, yes. I'm. 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 An, I think I have like an obsessive personality, and so I really let my curiosity just sort of like take me to weird like nooks and crannies of the internet. And then I just like spend like all of my time um, trying to figure out like what is going on. Um, you know, I think that that's how I found Urbit. Uh, I feel like it's kind of like how everybody finds Urbit in some way. Um, and at, at least today uh, and, and recently my curiosities have been in the world of ZK and sort of, cryptography and i think there's just like a lot to, to bite off there and to uncover um i'm by no means an expert <laughs> um i'm definitely yeah uh, so so you know don't, don't i just want to comment very questions. quickly i just want to comment very quickly how disappointed i am because bitchell told us he swore to us he was getting a professional jew <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, I'm sorry. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. Getting, we're getting the expert on. No, um, I had a cheeseburger last night, so disqualified. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I think uh, I we talked before about your your interest in ZK, and I think that's something we've touched on in 
previous episodes and is obviously something that's super relevant to the space. And I'd, I'd love to do an overview of what you find interesting there. But before we get in, I, I am curious, what, um, how technical are you, Avi? Like, do you, do you have tech in your, in your brain? Or is this you're sort of mostly understanding these things from a larger conceptual level and how they fit together um, in on like a macro scale? Yeah, I, I think I can LARP pretty well as someone who knows the tech, um, right? And that I can like, you know, understand architectures and I understand, you know, what distributed systems are and the basics of software development. And, um, you know, I, 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 do, I was an engineer like um, in undergrad and I did a little bit of like software development out of school. So, um, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to sit here and explain uh, the moon math behind, you know, ZK, but, uh, I think, you know, I can, I can talk about it, um, at a high level pretty well. Yeah. Just, so. just the earth math will, will do. Earth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's stay on earth. Let's stay on yeah. earth this episode. So narratively then why is, why is ZK so hot? Why is it so important? Why are you so interested in investing in it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had it, I had it, I kind of had an answer to this, but I don't know. I'm feeling like maybe maybe we go a different route. I mean, okay, to so to to start, like zk is such an old concept, um, dating back to the 80s. A ton of work has been done to bring it to production systems. So much of that is accredited to blockchain, and you know. I like to pat myself on the back as a venture investor that a lot of it made hat was made possible because of, you know, crypto VCs aping ZK projects um, who were doing like fundamental research that looked like academic research, but was applied to things like ZK rollups. Um, also, ZK is is now often referred to as like this whole world of mathematical proofs. Um, and, and so it's like kind of this amorphous definition that like includes a lot of things. Um, but at a fundamental level, like the thing that's got everybody, I think, excited about ZK is that it's a primitive for verifiable compute and it solves really fundamental issues of trust. When you outsource computation to third party operators who may potentially have adversarial incentives. Um, and I think like this like core concept is really sexy, right? It aligns very well with you know a lot of the uh, the infrastructure that gets built in you know call it broadly Web three, right? Finding ways to build more resilient systems, trustless systems, permissionless systems, um, and so yeah, yeah. I think I think like people find that conceptually to be a really attractive idea. There are very few applications that have immediate demand on like the consumer end uh, that use ZK. And I think that's like an important um, you know, caveat to make when we talk about these things, because it's really easy to get lost in like the imagination trade and sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the fetish, you know, fetishizing what ZK could be, right? Like, you have rollups, you have bridges, you have some privacy applications like identity and swaps and transactions. And then there's like this long tail of experimental shit. Um, 
So that's the that's the level set on ZK and why it's got everybody excited. Yeah, and so how experimental would you say it is? For example, you know, proof of stake was talked about for many, many years before Ethereum, you know, finally moved over last year, almost a year ago. So how how far is ZK from coming having an effect on like the day-to-day uses of crypto? Well, I, I would argue that it's already it's already having a, an effect, right? And, and it's having an effect in the um, uh, in sort of the block space world, right? For mm-hmm. rollups, right? Cheaper transactions, um, more abundant block space. I think uh, you know in the very near term, and actually today there are sort of the zk bridges, zk you know light clients, so to speak, um, that you know allow interoperability between blockchains. Uh, trustlessly. Uh, but I, I think what's like most exciting is today, for the very first time, you have really easy to use developer tools to build ZK applications. And this is like, this is like fresh off the press stuff. Um, and this is a huge change from the, the old paradigm, where if you wanted to build a ZK application, uh, you needed to know and understand uh, many different complex domains of knowledge in order to even build an app. Um, yeah. Today, that's not the case. And so I, I think we're, we're kind of coming out of this age of like very specific ZK applications and infrastructure into a more sort of general accessible um, paradigm. Yeah, it's exciting. And what are those kind of fresh off um, the press developer tools that are coming out now? Yeah, yeah. So um, this is, and, and I'm still not quite like, the, I don't think the industry has like decided on how to categorize this bucket of tools. Um, yeah. But I, I like to think of them as co-processors. And there's a, there's a few companies in the space who have kind of like taken this, this, you know, old computer engineering term of co-processor and made it their own and built a narrative around it. Um, but, but effectively, these are like provable coprocessors. These are machines that um, do very specific functions. Um, frequently, they do them much faster than the EVM or, or you know, could ever do. Um, or they actually sort of are built on top of these traditional programming stacks um, or computing architectures that allow you to run, you know, arbitrary programs written Rust or C++ or TypeScript or whatever you want. Um, um, and and have them verified on chain and have them interoperate with smart contracts. And so I, I really do think like if you think of Ethereum as the world computer, um, and you still kind of buy into that sort of you know metaphor, uh, these these this class of solutions are coprocessors to the Ethereum world computer. Do you, Avi, do you buy into that vision of the Ethereum world computer? Yeah, that's that's a good. I I, I do. I mean, I, so back back when I was like really getting into uh, like when I really started getting obsessed with crypto, it was uh, through sort of educating myself on what smart contracts were and you know understanding what Ethereum was and how it was different than say Bitcoin. Um, and I and I was I loved this idea of like the world computer. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, like. Running a you know, network, global network of nodes, running the same software, executing transactions, storing and sharing state, coming to a consensus. Like that was 
fucking sick. Um, but like, <laughs> really, yeah. really, really quick. Send it, like, brother. Yeah, send it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, it doesn't work. You know, like, you hit scaling <laughs> limitations for throughput and uh, there, you know, and and complexity of computations that you can run really, really fast. And I think um, you know there were a bunch of efforts to try and like rebuild, and I think there still still are like efforts that that have a lot of merit to like rebuilding sort of monolithic blockchain architectures that can um, sort of scale in a more meaningful way than Ethereum can. But Ethereum, and I think the Ethereum community, they're like, ah, let's let's go the modular route, right? Let's let's partition the core components of Ethereum, execution, data availability, storage, and consensus, and delegate them to other networks, right? And this way, you know, maybe we can get, you know, more scalability, and, and you can. Um, and I think today we have a ton of block space, like way too much block space. It's, I think it's abundant, I think it's cheap. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's like better UX and cheaper fees, but I don't think there's, you know, real, you know, zero to one innovation that's happening at the application layer. Um, and so what that tells me is that, okay, scaling Ethereum, the Ethereum world computer vision doesn't just require more block space and cheaper block space. Um, what I think you need is more expressivity. And there's empirical evidence, like, uh, within the market that says, okay, yes, this is, we need more execution expressivity and uh, intense and account abstraction, which, you know, are these like crazy, you know, you know, crazy definitions for really simple concepts. Um, but these things allow for you to have more expression at the transaction level um, within applications. Right. Um, and I think this is, I think that's a really interesting place that, um, you know, developers are building in, and this is definitely going to result in better counterparty discovery and capital efficiency and some, you know, new UX where you don't have to have a wallet and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think fundamentally, you have not changed anything about the nature of block space. You're still constrained for the most part to the EVM and smart contract paradigms. Um, and so this is where sort of you know, co-processors enter stage left. Um, this is why I think, you know, the world of ZK and provable machines is so interesting because um, they really expand and increase the expressivity that you can um, build within uh, from the Ethereum world computer, um, you know, from the EVM. And uh, that's what's got me, you know, excited about the future for that. Well, uh, that, that was a great answer, but you know, you, you mentioned that you think the right now, the Ethereum world computer vision, uh, as you said, doesn't work. And of course, doesn't <laughs> yeah. work brings me to another topic I was interested in, which is Urbit, um, <laughs> in that, yes. uh, or peer to peer computing in, in general, because when we spoke Yesterday, uh, you mentioned that you think that that peer-to-peer -peer computing and Urbit or a system like Urbit could be essential to building out this um, world computer, this expressivity, this application layer that you've discussed. And I'd be curious to hear what you think about the role of a system like that in, in developing the Web3 ecosystem and how something like that might interact with the world of ZK. 
Yeah. And and I want to caveat, I think the Ethereum world computer doesn't work for most applications, like the vast majority of applications. I think it works really well for, you know, the the professional hobbyists and memes and shit coins and I think there are some very legitimate DeFi protocols that work in, in the lending and swap space, although you're seeing, you know, people kind of give up, um, you know, for sort of off-chain alternatives. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, the Ethereum world computer does still has a lot of use. Uh, like I want to make that clear. Um, and I think there's still like, you know, really interesting applications that have product market fit. Uh, Urbit is, is, it all, is I think um, a really interesting, um, you know, I've heard people call it an art project. Um, I don't know if that's offensive on, <laughs> on this podcast, um, but I, I was drawn to it because they, well, I was actually first drawn to it because of their idea, uh, identity scheme, um, right? And that every server is intrinsically tied to an identity. Um, and I was really fascinated at, uh, trying to figure out you know, what would be the most hard identity you could create um, you know, with cryptographic primitives. And uh, I think Urbit was the solution to that, right? Um, it, is, it is literally attached to your server. You cannot depart from it. If you depart from your identity, you depart from your server um, and you lose you know, your, your existence on the network. Um, that was a really interesting idea to me. Uh, and, and then it was like, okay, these guys are literally, they're just like, fuck it. We're going to depart from the whole thing. Um, and we're going to rebuild everything from the ground up. And like anytime somebody does that and then like is able to begin executing on it and making steps towards that, like I'm, I'm like all ears, you know, down to learn everything I can. Um, but when you depart from like the current thing, and you say I'm going to do the new a new thing, like it's always an uphill battle and a, and a you know um, a very challenging road kind of lies ahead. So um, I like I think Urbit is is incredibly interesting from a philosophical perspective. I think it's come a long way, and I love the fact that I can you know hop on Paul you know my server and you know be there as Paul Rolandless and interact with applications. Um, but I, I think it has like a very long way to go, um, right? And I think there's interesting things going on with, with Holium and, and Bookbar and Terrell and Portal and Vaporware and, and so on. Um, but I think they're like very real, longstanding, um, you know, computer science and distributed system and peer-to-peer -peer network uh, challenges that Urbit needs to solve in order for it to be useful uh, beyond sort of the uh, demographic who find sort of the philosophical um, origins of, of Urbit as, um, you know, really, really interesting. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited for, hey, to see, can Urbit devs make money on Urbit? Like that <laughs> would be awesome. Yeah, big question. And I, I remember... I remember uh, a dev saying, you know, stars don't feed my family, like, or they don't put food on my table. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, like these guys, you know, these developers need, need to find ways to like make valuable applications mm -hmm. and then monetize them. Um, and so I think that's a sign that I'm looking for.
in the near term. Yeah, the uh, the the digital real estate analogy um, that part of the issue with it, right, is that, is that you can't you can't be growing any food on your on your digital real estate. It just if you can't if you can't sell it, if you can't you know, and you can't fractionalize a, a star really, then um, mm. it's it's limited in in terms of its ability to support a, an economy as the, the sole um, econ, you know sole economic feature that that is being going back and forth. Um, but, you know, I, I guess this is not, uh, and we had, we had Logan Allen of Zorp on, on the podcast, um, a couple Ah, months ago, and, um, he has described Zorp not as an urban company, but as a a knock company. And I recently saw um, a presentation of his at reassembly in Cheyenne, uh, shout out to, uh, Jay Yang of Tassin who put on a great event. Um, and it was it was a very impressive presentation, and I I say that be, uh, I know that because uh, people smarter than me were impressed. All the number stuff went went way over my head, but I could look around at, at the people who who I trust and, and see how they were reacting. And I know that you have some um, familiarity and interest in in Zorp, and I'm wondering what do you find promising about um, their work in the zk space. Yeah, um, I, uh, so I think I think what Logan is doing with Zorp and the team that he's built and, and the way that those guys are executing is just like in, incre- like incredible. I think they're like savants, superhero type uh, engineers. Um, uh, so so yeah, I, I, like I think what and, and Logan sounds like Logan is I mean, Logan is already on the podcast, so he's already explained kind of Zorp and. In his view, you know, maybe I can I I can offer like, you know, how how does it maybe compare to, um, you know, what else is out there? Um, sure. I think, and you know, Logan can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the insight that Logan had, it you know, way back when when nobody was you know when everybody thought this was impossible, was that knock the instruction set for Urbit was. Uh, would lend itself very well for ZK, um, and specifically for sort of expressing knock in an arithmetic circuit, um, and then running you know the the proof system of the of a ZK protocol over that. Um, and when you when you want to build a ZK application, and this kind of comes back to to my earlier point about like why is this ZK stuff interesting to me right now? Um, previously, you you had to have uh, very intimate knowledge about developing arithmetic circuits. And uh, you would take a program that you wanted to, to, to ZKify, and you would express that explicitly in arithmetic circuit. And this was very, very hard. It required a lot of technical know-how, um, polynomial math, elliptic curves, you know, commitment schemes, blah, 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 moon math shit. Um, and, <laughs> and so, like, not a lot of people were building things. Then... Uh, and I think I think Starkware was like the first to have this idea. But then it was it was like, well, what if we just built a virtual machine um, that was you know within was with zk a zk vm, and um, we could run a program, we could put a program into the zk vm, and we prove that the vm executed the program correctly. Right. 
Um, and if we can prove that the program uh, or the VM corrected the program correctly, then we know that the program itself is, is correct, right? Um, and so now you have to build a circuit uh, to match the VM, right? And so this is where we can sort of insert ZORP and, and the Eden ZKVM. Um, when, you, when you build a ZKVM, you want to use a very light and simple instruction set architecture. Because again, you have to express everything. You have to translate everything into an arithmetic circuit. Um, and again, this is very difficult and it adds a lot of computational overhead for um, every extra operation uh, that you add to that virtual machine. So knock, right? Like, and, and I think this is why a lot of developers and engineers in, in Urbit were attracted to Urbit or, or in part was like knock was this really elegant sort of beautiful um, simple instruction set architecture, right? You know, fits on the back of a t-shirt. I, I got mine from, from last assembly. I, ho I hope, by the way, there's more um, Urbit swag at uh, assembly this year. Um, but uh, so, so this was Logan's insight was like, all right, let's put, let's make a ZKVM built off NOC. And it, it worked. Um, and so now you have like this Z Eden ZKVM that is fully Turing complete, can run any Hoon program, any NOC program, if you, you know, are a, are a masochist, or um, their new programming language, which I don't know if they've announced that yet, but they're building one. Um, which will be, you know, much easier to use than, than even Hoon. Um, but the point is, is ZKVMs make it really like, like you don't, you don't need to know anything about ZK to build a ZK application when you have access to a ZKVM. And the trade-off from the ZKVM versus the app-specific circuit, which is what you used to do, um, is that the ZKVM has this additional overhead. Because not only do you prove the program, you prove the machine, right? And when you prove the machine, you have to prove every single operation within that machine, regardless of whether your program makes use of it or not. Um, so this is so this is kind of a, the trade-off matrix. But fortunately, there's a lot of work that's being done in you know building really fast, efficient virtual machines. Um, you know, even the even ZKVM by Zorp included. Um, and there's a lot of advancements on the back end where, you know, the world of proof systems, where ZK proof systems live and sort of algorithmic advancements, advancements in sort of the, the mathematics of, you know, M, M, um, MSM operations and MTTs, which are sort of the foundation of, of ZK proofs, as well as like hardware acceleration. Um, so a lot of things point towards, you know, ZKVMs being uh, the, the dominant most easy to use ZK developer tooling. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful overview. I think the thing I'm kind of left with wondering as an outsider, though, I often wonder, like, what are the dependencies? Like, for example, with Zorp, like, what in Knock today needs to be improved that it can get to parity with Starkware, for example, or surpass it? Hmm. And so that's the kind of question I'm kind of, I'm just curious as an outside observer, and I'm not sure if you have, I'm curious to hear kind of your take on that to kind of figure out how you assess Zorp against its competitors, kind of where it's mm. at and what, you know, potential, potentially could block it versus, you know, enable it to hit 
massive speed above it, above its competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, I mean that that's a good question, and honestly, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> um, the I, I I actually so to, to caveat like. Uh, I don't think you can outright say that Starkware's Cairo VM is more performant than Zorp's Eden ZK VM. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's actually problem, or there's probably reason to believe that the Eden ZK VM is more performant than the Cairo VM. Um, you know, granted, all else is equal. That being the sort of hardware that you're running it on. Um, the thing is, there's, and this is sort of a, a problem that, um, you know, re- I think really hurt the, the ZK sort of research space is benchmarking is is totally unstandardized. And, you know, people sort of use their own benchmarks diff- against their own types of hardware. Um, and so it's really difficult to tell, you know, whose ZKVM is more performant than the next. Um, when it comes to, like, the dependencies, um, you know, Zorp used and sort of built off of Knock, right? Um, they aren't intrinsically tied to Knock's instruction set architecture. Um, it was a really attractive uh, option given that it's you know Turing complete. It supports the entire Urbit stack, right? So when we're thinking about building trustless applications within these ZKVMs, well, why not just go and go ahead and use you know, the, you know, most robust, complete, peer-to-peer um, application stack that's available, right? That being Urbit. Um, you also had the fact that it was incredibly small as an instruction set and easy to proof. So uh, I think there are a lot of reasons why Zorp made that decision. Um, and, you know, we'll see, time will tell whether that pays dividends. Well, Avi, uh, another thing we we talked about um, is just how difficult, strange, fascinating, scary life in the the crypto world can be. There's ups, there's downs. It's a roller coaster. Everyone has been um, a millionaire and and penniless uh, at some point or or other. And I was curious about how you deal with that as an investor. Um, you know, compared to the traditional world of finance is just so variable, so unpredictable. Um, how do you, you know, keep going when you lose your shirt? How do you keep your head when, uh, your pocket is full of, um, soaring shit coins and how, (laughs) how have you, um, learned from, from the lessons of what's been a strange past year or so in crypto? Yeah, well, yeah, another loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mentioned yeah, we're gonna have to run this one by our our legal team. Um, sure. Yeah, but I mean, this is all. Uh, anyone listening, this is all fiction. This is any resemblance to true events? Not, yes. Uh, yeah. Hypothetical circum hypothetical circumstances, not financial advice. Yeah, about um, uh, Belfi Belfi digital investing. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we, so, uh, so, I mean, maybe to shed a little bit of light right into like our investment process, like we did like Delphi has a very rigorous investment process and we spend a lot of time 
looking very deeply at uh, product and sort of product architecture. Um, and uh, we, we do this because, you know, we feel that, you know, we really know crypto products inside and out because we all use them. Um, like, and, you know, of course, we're not going to give our, our wallets or active hot wallets out, you know, to the world. But if you could look at Delphi's hot wallets, they would be <laughs> very, very active. They'd be um, so hot. They'd be the hottest wallets be, out there. Yeah, flaming. Um, but, you know, like this is, I think this isn't, this has really been like an edge that we're, we're users, right? Um, at the end of the day, when you, you like come to pitch us, we want to use the product. Um, and I think Delphi um, has been around long enough where we've seen, you know, some products really take, take capture of the market's imagination um, and then, you know, violently, um, you know, leave that imagination or, or destroy the, the sort of imagination that the market held. Um, and so um, I think what we've been able to do well is just survive. Like we were intimately, I mean, we, we were involved in, and our brand was attached to a few of these sort of, you know, meteoric, you know, rises and falls. Um, but we're all incredibly committed to this space. Um, we've, you know, been, been at this um, for a while since, you know, early 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're going to be at it until, like, I don't know, we're, <laughs> we're all done and, uh, you know, people start losing motivation. But, you know, to date, like, that hasn't been the case. Um, so, yeah, we, we have a few scars. For sure. I mean, and I, I do do personally, right? Like you, you can get burned in this space, like really, like literally overnight. Um, right. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we could talk about a few of these things um, if it would be interesting. Well, uh, maybe let me ask you this. Do you think that the amount of scandal, of intrigue, of corruption is going to meaningfully decrease um, in the next few years? Like, will, are we going to see more Sam Bankman Freeds? Are we going to see more, mm. um, you know, stable coin depeggings and, and, and bank runs? Uh, and if so, when does when does the industry begin to to even out? I mean, I hope I hope not, right? I hope we've learned something, um, right? Like, I mean, I haven't. If if, 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 if it, it's like if, if it looks like a bucket shop, it swims like a bucket shop, it smells like a bucket shop, it's probably a fucking bucket shop, right? Like. <laughs> Don't like I these things are so sometimes like so clearly painted on the wall. Um and yeah maybe that's a trick, you know, it's trying to uh distract us, right? Like we think, oh, it's too right. obviously a scam. It couldn't possibly be. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um well I, I don't know. Has that has that played out too well? I mean right, like <laughs> I think I have people... no money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's worked. Or, but no, what if we could make money off yeah. the scam? That's the problem. Yeah. Like we know That's it's right. a scam. Exactly. But, exactly. 
<laughs> but you know, you know, it's money. Yeah, yeah it's point. like I mean, it, human human greed like takes over, right? Like you know, there's money on the floor. Like what do you do? You 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 pick it up and you make sure nobody's looking. Um, some you know, at some point somebody's going to be looking, or the money is attached to a, you know a fish line, and you know before you know it, you're yeah, you're you're broke. Um, and and so I think like I think when you are so I, I think that comes back to like to come back to Delphi and come back to like why I think you know we've been able to survive. Um, obviously we're we're venture fund. Like I can't sit here and tell you that we're not here to make money. Um, that that's our business, right? Um, but we're we're also deeply aligned partners, right? And if crypto doesn't succeed in you know the wild ambitions that it sets forth to succeed, then we don't succeed. And um, I think at the end of the day, when you separate the individuals from the business, you look at those individuals and it's like everybody here wants to see crypto succeed in some way or another. Everybody here is ideologically aligned with uh, a lot of the, the roots and origins of, of crypto. Um, and so when you have that and you have you know, the willingness to try things out, you know, be real users, um, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're wise with, you know, some of your risk management, right? Like you take profits, right? Um, if things look, you know, too high, they probably are too high, uh, you know, right? Don't hold out for the last, you know, 50% when you're sitting on a 10X, um, you know, these sorts of things, then, you know, you can do really well, like you do really, really well. Um, but you're, you're, you know, this is the scars and the burns are, those are inevitable. Um, at least if you, you know, you want to play the game. Yeah. I think the, the not holding out thing is such an issue. I know I think about when I'm fantasizing about the, the ways that I, I might become crypto rich or something, uh, or if, you know, Ukbar, you know, for, for whom I work goes to the moon. Uh, when, I just yeah. don't have when, when. yeah when when sorry yes uh, I I don't have any confidence in myself to to be able to time anything correctly I that I I have confidence only that if I sell it'll immediately 10x afterwards and if I do not I will uh, lose everything <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, so I I just need an inverse bot of you yeah yeah I, yeah I need to somehow constantly short whatever myself my own positions yes and i mean in addition there was like this massive narrative you know for like all of 2020 2021 and even parts of 2022 of just like hyper bitcoinization for example and just kind of like hodl and everything will you know go to the moon you don't really have to think too hard um and i feel like you know that's come before there's been a few of these cycles but you know during that period it felt real. You know, every podcast was talking about it. People were kind of acting on that. And a lot of people got burned kind of thinking that there was sort of this inevitable monetization event in crypto that would kind of supersede any fiat currency. Um, mm. So yeah, just curious what your take is on that as well. Avi. Do you think this is sort of an inevitable event? It just needs a couple more cycles or does this require the entrepreneurial efforts of people building stuff in crypto that works. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I I think you need both, I, or I think I think both can be true. Um, um, 
right? Well, I guess I guess both can't be true. I think I think you need the <laughs> entrepreneurial efforts. Yeah, I think you need the entrepreneurial efforts, um, right? To like kind of build use cases and, and build sort of systems around you know these major assets. Um, and then eventually, I think there are going to be like a few of these sort of you know uh, key milestone events that really sort of change the course of, uh, you know, the, the, or the trajectory of these assets. Right. And, and, you know, my bet is that it it changes the trajectory to like up and to the right. Um, and I think, you know, the, uh, Bitcoin ETF, I think that's a really sort of exciting milestone. Um, I think people are speculating on that and whether or not the market has priced it in yet and so on and so forth. But, I've heard the conspiracies that BlackRock is already buying in, in hordes and uh, of course. ETF, yeah, the ETF will, will follow shortly. Um, like it's hard not to imagine that that's bullish for, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, shortly thereafter ETH. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there'll be these like key milestone events, but you need, you need the entrepreneur, you need like, you need the entrepreneur and, um, you know, I, I, I also think that, you know, coming back to the ZK stuff, um, like I, I really think that a lot of the work that blockchains and crypto build off of um, is, is, is like very, very valuable work um, for the rest of the world. And I think it boils down to this, this, this world of applied cryptography, which is abundant in our lives today, but silent. And no one really understands. Um, and uh, we're living in an increasingly more adversarial adversarial world with, um, you know, for you know more privacy pressures from from regulators and rightfully so, um, and data protection laws. Um, and you know, people are waking up to the fact of like what is their online existence. And then you have you know fucking LLMs, you know being called agents and my mom calling me, you know, when is, when am I going to see a robot running down the street and, you know, literally thinking, you know, the singularity is near and all this stuff. There, there <laughs> are not, a ton of reasons. It, feel, it feels like it is some days. <laughs> well, it, it's good to distract the moms from, you know, how far down our crypto investments are right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. For the first time, she's not asking me, are you thinking about a new job? She's asking me, you know, when is the world going to end? Yeah. Um, it's actually yeah. healthier. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. personally, my yeah, my self esteem is a bit higher. Um, <laughs> but um, but no, the 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 point is, is like uh, the stuff that happens in crypto, the stuff that happens in blockchain, the fundamental like technologies that underpins this stuff, um, is c- incredibly useful and is going to be, I think, broadly useful, um, you know, across industries, especially in the world of cybersecurity, um, and uh, and and blockchain and crypto is funding it. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's a point where there's this, this bridge, um, there's a bridge moment, right. Where, uh, all of a sudden, uh, some technique or some protocol or some network from within the world of crypto and blockchains, um, is actually useful, um, you know, to, to the rest of the world for the time being. So what if it's like, you know, <laughs> for the internet, um, you know, the internet's like, fun. that's a big enough market. You know? Yeah. The internet's fun. We're all, we're all here right now we're hanging right? out so like this is this we're recording it, yeah. with the internet as we speak yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, well, uh, speaking uh, of of internet and 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 fun, um, before we before we let you go, I was wondering if you had any you know particular projects or ideas that are really exciting you right now. I know we already talked about zk. I, I know you've done your sort of one of Delphi's AI investing guys. Um, are there, is there anything that you're just like, you know, every time you think about it, you're like, hot damn, that's, that's going to be really something. B- Bitchell, is this your, your sneakiest possible way of asking for invest- investment advice? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask me, ask me for some. It wasn't that sneaky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, uh, what's, what's going to the moon? Um, yeah. Can I, I'll just give you the no. keys to my wallet and you can do as you please. <laughs> yeah. No, um, you know, I, the, the stuff that I'm most excited about, just like pure, like pure curiosity, um, right? Like following, following my interests. I really do think like small tinkering experiments with ZKDMs is, uh, is, is going to be really cool. Um, so projects like risk zero, um, open sort of libraries that are being worked on by Lambda Works and ArcWorks and ON Labs, uh, Snarky JS, um, Zorp and the Eden ZKVM, um, stuff happening on the Cairo VM. Uh, Polygon is doing a ton of great work with their their Maiden VM and the Polygon. Well, hold on, I can only yeah. I can only invest so quickly. You yeah, gotta, you gotta <laughs> slow down. I'm, I'm sending so, out sending out coins at one um, at a time. The, 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 the point is here is that there's a ton of tools to build ZK applications and they're very easy to use. Um, and there's a tool for whatever trade-offs you want to make. Um, and I think we're starting to see the very early innings of what kind of fun experiments might look like. And just recently um, at the uh, Paris ETCC uh, hackathon, there was somebody who built a ZK microphone. Uh, that pretty much like generated proofs that the audio that was recorded actually came from a hardware device, right? And this mm-hmm. was sort of proof of that it wasn't, you know, AI generated audio, right? It actually wow. came from a human voice. Um, you're seeing things like, you know, ZK email, um, you know, the, the, the rise of world, like Worldcoin, which, you know, um, I'm glad, you know, we didn't even have to dive into that. Um, hmm. But like, like, People are lining up and they're signing up millions of people across the world. And did you scan your eyeball, Avi? No, fuck no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not scanning my eyeball. I, I think um, my my parents are, you know, pretty old. I think if they say I could get them to scan their eyeballs, and there's only, you know, I I would love for my parents to live forever, but realistically, maybe a couple decades pass before that that gets manipulated. But I still get my coins. I'll inherit them. You know what you I'm saying? Get your coins. Yeah, you get your coins. No, and I, I think like, um, like, like Worldcoin, right? It, it doesn't, you know, by default store your your information, right? It, it's and and by virtue of you know zkml, um, and so like I think you know that's you know obviously been a project that's you know they've been building for years. Um, but uh, you know the timing of it, I think, coincides with a lot of the other work that's happening on zk developer tools. Um, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for now, like 
projects like WorldCoin and, and other projects that have been building for, for years for the sort of app specific purposes to now sort of combine with, you know, these new smaller applications that are now really easy to build. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm really amped for this, this ZK space. Um, and uh, you know, what's to come what, there. What is the part of your body you'd be most willing to scan for money? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. That is. Uh, I mean, my feet come to mind. I don't know. Why. Yeah. Like, do we like, do I we know, have toe prints? Is that like? Do you have like toe prints? Like we have fingerprints? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. May I mean, you, I don't know. I don't know. But you, you, know, you get calluses on those things, so mm -hmm. maybe that yeah. yeah dilutes your the signal of your your. They toe they print seem to be. It just seems to be some sort of weird preference that people have to look at fingers instead of toes. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we know some people have a, have a strong preference to look at toes instead of fingers. It's well documented. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you're speaking from mm -hmm. experience now, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, hey, toes. Uh, you know, just another part of the body to me. A lovely, lovely part of the body. Ah, look at um, this. So last week you did uh, what? Uh, nose and ears. Today we do yes. toes and fingers. <laughs> I yeah, like for, this. For, I'm excited for next week or whatever you guys choose. Which body parts? Yeah. For everyone uh, listening, my ear is clear. My hearing has been restored to one hundred percent. I still, uh, I still can't listen to women. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. I forgot that that was. I just remembered you said something about ears, and I forgot that that was the upshot. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, Avi, it, uh, yes, it's been an yeah. absolute pleasure to to have you on. This has been a great conversation. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, to everyone out there, we will catch you next time on The Network Age. Thank you for listening. For more Network Age content, you can find us on Twitter at Network Age Pod. We've also got a beautiful new presence online, which you can find at ookbar.network forward slash age. Also, Find us on Apple or Spotify, leave us a good review, and we may even read it on air. Until next time, this has been the Network Age.